0: Welcome to the nourish babes podcast. We're your hosts Bella and Madison, your go-to besties for all things women's wellness. We're here to help you balance your hormones, heal your gut, learn how to eat, exercise, sleep, manage your stress, break free of diet culture, and get confident as fuck about your own health and healing. Let's dive in to today's episode. Before we dive into the episode, are you subscribed yet? Nourished Babes podcast monthly paid subscribers receive access to two to three additional podcast episodes per month, which are longer, more in-depth, and more specific than our free episodes exclusive discounts and offerings and also the potential to be featured on one of our case study episodes where you send in your health concerns and we spend a whole episode sharing our personalized diet lifestyle and supplement advice for you
1: so are you ready to subscribe if you're listening on spotify click the link in the show notes or click the lock icon on spotify paid episodes if you're on apple click the link in the show notes On Apple, these episodes are actually hidden from your feed. Once you're subscribed, you will gain immediate access to past and future subscriber episodes. So we hope to see you there. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this week's podcast episode. So in this episode, we're answering some of your most burning health questions that you guys have submitted to both of us. Also, we want to note that this is our last episode of season two. We always take off a couple of weeks between seasons to rest, rejuvenate, get inspired again. But be sure that we will be back in a couple of weeks with more episodes. So I'm sad and so bittersweet, but we've had such a fun week here in Joshua Tree. And I just love spending time with you. It's been such a fun week. And I'm just so grateful
0: for everything that we've created together. Same, same. Yeah, we've basically been eating delicious food. Yes. Recording podcasts. Sitting on the floor. Sitting on the floor while we record podcasts. Drinking lots of kombucha in moderation. Yep. Watching the sunset. Living our best life. It's been amazing. Yes. Okay, so let's get into our first question. (coughs) Excuse me. Okay, the first question is how to heal acid reflux. So first off, I'm not a doctor. I can't claim to like heal anything. I also don't know your health history too. So that's something to be aware of. But just some general recommendations for acid reflux. So acid reflux is typically caused by low stomach acid. And a couple of things to start with is first, start with really soothing herbs and foods. So, if you think about acid reflux, a lot of what's happening in the gut is that your gut lining is really irritated and just needs some support. So, focusing on things like bone broth, collagen gelatin, aloe vera juice, slippery elm bark tea, marshmallow root tea, and chamomile, those are going to help with soothing your gut and your digestive system. And then of course you want to work on increasing stomach acid long-term. So first things first to increase stomach acid is eat while you're calm. So you want to make sure that you are in your rest and digest phase. So your nervous system is calm. You're being mindful around your meals. And that's the first place to start. Also consuming sea salt with your meals, so the sodium, sea salt is sodium chloride, and the chloride in sea salt will help your body create hydrochloric acid, which again, it sounds like it's a bad thing, but especially for acid reflux, but you need really good stomach acid to digest your foods well and have your food move through your system at a good rate. You can also focus on zinc rich foods so things like oysters especially are great and then you can also utilize things like apple cider vinegar diluted in water before your meals or digestive bitters with your meals also be sure that you're consuming enough animal protein with your meals because that signals to your body it needs to to create stomach acid so that you can digest it. So long-term goal is work on increasing your stomach acid while short-term you can start with some of those soothing herbs and foods.
1: I love it. And also in our animal protein or protein podcast, we talk about this a little more. And I think it's interesting that when people think of heartburn or acid reflux, they think of too much stomach acid when in reality it's actually you have too little stomach acid. Um also my fiance really struggles with acid reflux especially if he eats certain foods and so he takes those antacids sometimes but I'm like that is just such a band-aid fix and can actually add to the problem long term. So we actually found that aloe vera juice really helps with that like immediate relief. So definitely look into those. The next question, can the IUD cause gut issues? So the simple answer is probably, I'm never going to say absolutely yes or absolutely no, but when you're looking up, can birth control cause gut issues or whatnot, it's usually talking about the pill, And so people think like, oh, the pill can cause gut issues, but I don't know if the IUD can cause gut issues. But when you compare the pill to hormonal IUDs, it's virtually the same thing. It works very similarly. They both use synthetic progesterone called progestin, which works by turning off the signal to your brain, from the brain to the ovaries and prevents ovulation. Therefore, Preventing your ability to conceive. So, I was also researching this when someone asked me, and I found an article saying, stating that this doctor, after reviewing many women's timelines, she found that all of their digestive symptoms began after the IUD placement. So, again, we can never say cause and effect but that's definitely a coincidence. Some of these patients have gone on to be diagnosed with SIBO and yeast overgrowth and bacterial dysbiosis. So again, we can't say for sure that the IUD causes these digestive issues, but the symptoms can definitely be likely. And if you are currently struggling with gut issues and you've recently got a hormonal IUD in or have had it in for a long time, definitely consider alternatives to hormonal birth control because there are plenty of alternatives. I have a whole blog post on this so you can read it
0: on my website. Okay, so our next question, if I can only start with one thing at a time, what would be the best thing to start with? So first thing that is really, really easy to start with in your health and wellness journey is protein, increasing your amount of protein and prioritizing animal-based protein sources over plant-based protein sources. We have a whole entire podcast about protein. Go back and listen to that. We go into in-depth as to how to go about increasing your protein intake, how much to have, um, some problems that might be happening around protein and how to mitigate those and that's a really simple one because protein will help you be more satiated, sports hormone balance, sports gut health, sports mental health. So that's a really easy one to just simply increase at your meal time. So start with protein, aim for hundred grams of protein per day. You can also start by tracking your food intake to get an idea of where you're currently at with your protein intake. Another one is to decrease your vegetable oil consumption. So again, we have a whole entire podcast about fat and vegetable oils and saturated fats. That's another really easy switch, especially if you're cooking a lot from home. It's really easy to just swap a lot of your vegetable oils, things like canola, soybean, safflower, sunflower, grapeseed, corn oils out for things like butter, ghee, tallow, lard, coconut oil, avocado oil, olive oil. That's another really easy swap. And then another really easy one for hormone and gut health is consuming bone broth, collagen, or gelatin on a daily basis, one of the three. And I think the other really important first place to start is with stress because stress has so much of an impact on your hormones, on your gut health, that it is a it, it should be a really big and first step in your journey. Anything else that you can think of as far as first steps?
1: Now, I think just like also becoming aware, which definitely coincides with vegetable oils and protein, because oftentimes we're not aware that we're not eating enough protein and that vegetable oils are literally in all modern day foods. So that is the first step in my course is just becoming aware of all the toxins in your life, how much protein you're eating and so on. Pretty straightforward. The next question is, I'm a 45-year-old mom of four, and I've been in perimenopause since I was 33, first started with hot flashes. She quotes, lady problems run in my family starting at a young age. I have many stories I could share, but I'm basically wondering if any of your advice needs to be adjusted for my age or circumstances. So the simple answer is no the basics of building a strong foundational healthy body will always be the same. Always quality animal protein, easy to digest carbohydrates, saturated fats, minerals, gentle movement, daily si- sunlight, enjoying your life. Like you need to always start with the foundations. And once you have those taken care of, first of all, a lot of things will start falling into place and you might just need the basics and that's what you are missing. Um, but once you have the basic down and the foundations down, then you can try to start to tweak your life. Um, also when it comes to age, again, nothing is really changed. Like we need a f- strong foundational body from birth until death. And so in fact, some of my course students are either in menopause or approaching menopause and still find great value in all of the course information. Um, if there's anything That older generations need. It's more protein as we age. We don't digest protein as well, and we need to utilize more. But again, almost everyone's not eating enough protein, so I think everyone can benefit from that. And the last thing I want to mention is if you're having hot flashes at age 33, that's a typical sign, clear sign of estrogen dominance. Again, so many of us are estrogen dominant, which is another question we'll talk about soon. Um, So definitely listen to the hormone balancing episode from season three or season one.
0: I was looking at the three. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's great what you mentioned about the foundations, because we like to make we speaking of the pop people in general, we like to make things very complicated, right? We think we have a very complex health situation, so we need a complex healing protocol it's like, yes, for sure. We can get specific and you have everyone has their own individual needs, but at the basics, like like you said, you do the basics first. Mm-hmm. Almost all the times people's symptoms go away. Yes. But for those of you who do the basics and you still have symptoms, yes, you can get more specific with testing and getting specific about supplements and get more specific, but in reality it's, it's simple. And we've outlined a lot of the basic places to start.
1: And I think that so many people are like, I have this issue. I have this symptom. What do I do for this symptom? And it's like, we need to get away from this symptom, like obsession and just like fixing that one symptom. Like let's step back and work on the foundations and likely without even trying to fix that sort of symptom, it'll go away on its own.
0: Exactly. So the next question is, what is a good prebiotic to take? Mm -hmm. So short answer, none. Um, You don't have to take prebiotics. So prebiotics, if you're not familiar with what they are, they are fiber. It's a particular type of fiber or certain phytonutrients found in foods. So prebiotics are essentially what feed your good gut bacteria and they promote diversity and strength in your gut microbiome. So if we're talking about prebiotic supplements or things like prebiotics added in food, I would say more is not always better, right? People Mm -hmm. are obsessed with prebiotics and probiotics and adding them into things like drinks and cookies and crackers and all these, all these things. Um, You don't need that, right? More is not always better. More is, especially in the case of prebiotics, more can cause more issues. So Mm -hmm. If you've ever seen those Olipop, I think it's the Olipop service. They have prebiotics in them. And for a lot of people, they get really gassy and bloated. And it makes sense because your gut bugs are feeding off that bacteria, producing lots of gas and can make you feel really bloated and gross. So again, prebiotic supplementation, like I said, can be too much of a good thing. And I think that we're obsessed with them. Most people, you know, Companies are starting to add them into things where they aren't naturally found. So if you're concerned about prebiotics and getting enough prebiotics, just make sure that you are consuming fiber-rich foods, things like fruits, cooked veggies, potatoes, rice, and in particular, things like Jerusalem artichoke, berries, honey, apples, onions, garlics, and leeks, bananas, and dandelion greens. Have you ever drank in one of those olipops? pops? No. Yeah, I've I heard of neither. horror stories about
1: people being so
0: bloated and gassy with them.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah, that's scary. I'd rather just drink a Mexican Coke. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next question. Are there any alternatives to things like Botox? Uh, I want to preface this by you do you, girl. You do whatever you want. But I personally don't want to put some weird substance into my face. Like that kind of freaks me out. Yeah. Um, I know some people are like, Botox makes me more confident and it makes me feel better about myself. And if that's you, go for it. But I don't think we really understand that confidence comes from within. Like you are confident and radiant no matter what you look like. It comes from how you hold your shoulders back and how you walk and how you speak to people. And confidence is so much more than what you look like. And we think you're beautiful just the way you are, and God made you just the way you are, so we don't think that altering how you look is always so necessary, like it's pushed and pushed and pushed in our modern culture. So we also want to note that your skin is a direct reflection of your diet and your lifestyle. If you're going out in the sun for hours and hours on end, like we've always advocate for sunlight, but too much sun can obviously be a bad thing. Um, If you're eating tons of vegetable oils or not taking care of your body or eating really nutrient-poor food, of course your skin is going to degenerate as you age and get older. So here are some actionable steps and alternatives to Botox. The first one is Guasa. I love, love, love my Guasa tool. Um, It's basically like a stone some are made out of um, green jade. Some are made out of rose quartz. Mine's made out of rose quartz, And it's just a gentle way of massaging your face and draining your lymphatic system, draining your lymph nodes or draining your puffiness into your lymph nodes and really get that fluid moving through your body or moving through your face, especially. I do it every morning and I love it so much. You can also look up simple YouTube Episodes on like how to do it properly. Another one is facial massages. There's again YouTube videos all about this. You want to be very gentle. You don't want to be pulling your skin super hard. Um, but I also, if I don't have my guasa with me, I will do facial massages. I'm doing one right now as we speak. <laughs> um, avoid vegetable oils again. Vegetable oils literally oxidize within our skin and saturated fats make our skin rich and plump and saturated. And so whenever possible, aim to avoid these and replace them with saturated fats. Vitamin E also is very nourishing to the skin. Uh, If I have like a pimple or something, sometimes I'll put some vitamin E on it. And if you didn't know, vitamin E actually mitigates the damage caused by vegetable oils. So if you've grown up eating vegetable oils, you know that vegetable oils live in our bodies for years and years. So by obtaining vitamin E from food, like I think avocados and certain fruits have vitamin E. Also, Beef tallow has vitamin E, certain sprouted nuts and seeds. Don't go crazy with them, but those also have vitamin E. And then also vitamin E supplements can all be beneficial. The next one is collagen, gelatin, protein. Of course, I think half of the protein within our body is actually collagen. So making sure that you're eating collagen-rich foods can help the elasticity of our skin. And also get into low... um, PUFA skincare, low polyunsaturated fat skincare. There's so much information out there about it. And it's really interesting. Just it's interesting when I see um, skincare that's like vegan. And I'm like, I want beef tallow in my skincare. Like, I want good quality animal fats in my skincare. I don't want it to be vegan. Like, no, thank you. The last uh, point I want to mention is accept that aging is natural and beautiful and it's a part of life. And I think our society and magazines and TV wants everyone to look young and prioritizes looking young and youthful all the time, but that's not reality. And wisdom comes with aging
0: and it's not all doom and gloom. Anything you want to add? just for those of you who are not familiar with a lot of this so i don't know how you say it i say gua sha i think it's guasa. that's right but it's spelled i was just gonna say this spelling yeah, yeah so people could look it up G U A space s h a yeah so if you're wanting more info on that that's how you spell it and the only other one is the low proof of skincare so like we've talked about with saturated fats and polyunsaturated fats It's the same with the fats that you're putting on your skin, right? The fats that you consume are really important, but then Mm -hmm. if you're putting all these oxidized, inflammatory oils on your skin, those are going to cause damage. So it's the idea that you want primarily saturated fats, not only ones that you're consuming internally, but that you're putting on your skin. So things like beef tallow, shea butter, cocoa butter, jojoba oil, Those are going to be the ones that you want to actually apply to your skin, not a lot of the other oils that are in other skincare. And yeah, accepting that like aging is natural and beautiful. I think on one podcast I was talking about how I'm getting like the like widow's, what is it? Not widow's peak. The the lines around your eyes. Crow's feet. Crow's feet. I'm getting crow's feet. But it's like, cause I smile a lot. And yeah. like the lines in my forehead show that I'm expressive and like my yes. eyebrows go up and like there's lines there and that's completely normal. Like I want to look like I am aging and not like I want to look like I'm getting older, but like, it's just part of life. Yes. And it's actually beautiful so the next question is how to get adequate sunlight in the winter are there any lights that you like so with this one the important thing to note is that you ideally should get enough sunlight during the spring and summer to last you through the winter so Mm -hmm. for example when you're when you're spending adequate time outside during the spring or summer your body's making a lot of vitamin d during those months vitamin d is a fat soluble vitamin so it is absorbed so stored and utilized through fats and so if you get enough vitamin D in this the summer months you will store that vitamin D and be able to utilize it in the winter for your mood for your gut health for your hormone health so that's ideal is to load up on vitamin D during the summer months and then in the winter time you can still get outside. So even though it might be cloudy, even though it's really cold, get outside as much as you can even if it's stormy. You know, just getting sunlight and getting outside is going to be really great in the winter. And no there are no lights that I recommend because I think winter is such a good time to embrace embrace the darkness, right? Mm-hmm. Embrace the fact that it is a time to slow down. It's a time to do less. It's a time to rest more and really just embracing a lot of those nourishing activities in the winter time. So I feel like often we resist the slow, the slow tempo of winter when in reality, we can embrace it and love it and really just use it as a time to rest and get ready for the other months. So yeah, anything else to add? Just on the vitamin D, I feel like so many people are like, I'm low in vitamin D,
1: so much about vitamin vitamin D supplementation. And I don't think people realize, but our liver can store vitamin D for 10 years.
0: Yeah, you didn't well, know that. I
1: didn't know that. Looking at your face. <laughs> so again, like I think supplementing with vitamin D can be dangerous to an extent. Yeah. There's also like many everyone talks about vitamin D3, um, but there are like 25 different forms of vitamin D. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure that D3 is like a stored version, not necessarily the active version. Um, another thing is magnesium. You need magnesium in order to make vitamin D active and converted to its active form. So it's not just about vitamin D and sunlight. Also sunlight provides so many other benefits other than just vitamin D like infrared helps us produce melatonin for sleep. So getting sunlight in the winter, I think is still good and important. The next question is, how do I start living more in tune with my cycle? Ooh, I love this question so much. So first, we're definitely going to do a whole podcast on this in the next season because there's so much to talk about and we absolutely love talking about this. Um, but the first thing is first, just learn about the different phases of your cycle. Start tracking your own cycle. I teach you. Those are our potatoes or the oven is preheated. In my course, Restore Your Hormones, I teach you how to track your own cycle and give you a few different tracking methods. So that is definitely step number one. I also explain it a little bit in one of my blog posts that I can link in this episode because I uh, go back to it so much. But as a brief review, there's obviously four different phases of your cycle. So the beginning of your cycle is always period day one, and that is going to be your menstrual phase. In this phase, all of your hormones are at their lowest. This is considered your inner winter. So you want to go inside, like go within in your body and whatnot. Uh, You want to try to we don't really advocate for eating certain foods during certain phases of your cycle but definitely including more warming foods. You do not want to let your body get super cold um, and stagnant and keep that blood stagnant. You want that blood warm and flowing out of your body. And lastly, for the menstrual cycle or the menstrual phase, excuse me, this is a time to reflect and go within and really listen to your intuition. Your right and left brain actually Brains actually communicate the best during this phase of your cycle. So um, it's not really the best time to verbalize, but to think within and go within is really helpful. I've actually um, read some articles of women breaking up with their boyfriend during their menstrual cycle because or during their menstrual phase, because their brain is so much clear and they're so much in tune to actually what they want. Whereas during ovulation, you're just like, whoa, this is so fun. Like I love everyone. Whereas, um, during your menstrual phase, you're much more in tune with how you're feeling on to the follicular phase, which comes after the menstrual phase. This is happens around day five to day seven. Again, everyone's cycle days are different. But these are just averages. In the follicular phase, estrogen begins to rise, it starts building the uterine lining. This is considered your inner spring if we want to compare it to the seasons. And this is a great time for creativity, for planning, if you're a content creator, for uh, creating that content. Like I think Maddie talked about before in a previous episode. um, I love to plan my month out and like, or a project for the month, like what do I want to work on? What do I want to focus on? Doing a lot of research and gathering information. This is a great time to do that. The next phase is the ovulatory phase. Again, this can happen anywhere from days 12 to days 19. Tracking your cycle and tracking your cervical mucus, which we can talk about in another episode, can pinpoint what exact day you're ovulating, but the whole phase is around that time. At this point, your estrogen peaks and you get a small spike in testosterone, which makes you horny and want to go out there and maybe make love to your partner. Um, This is considered your inner summer if we're comparing it to the seasons. And this is the best time to be collaborative, to communicate. Um, I love to say it's a great time to go on a first date or... Yeah. Go outside. Um, if you're having, if you're like having a problem at work, this is a really good time to communicate that. I've also heard it's a great time to ask for a raise. Um, your skin is glowing. Like it's easier for your brain to communicate with your mouth and speak your words that you're actually thinking. So ovulatory is usually everyone's favorite phase. (laughs) And then the last phase is the luteal phase, which, um, happens after ovulation around day, anywhere from day 18 to until you start your next period. Progesterone is the dominant hormone in this phase and it falls towards the end, but progesterone makes you feel calm and relaxed. It increases your appetite. So you're more hungry. Your metabolism is increased. It's considered your inner fall. So think of that fall cozy weather. That's kind of how you feel during your luteal phase. You definitely want to eat more warming foods and more foods during this phase. And if you're struggling with hormonal imbalances, this is usually the phase that we see PMS symptoms happen and occur. And One note is red raspberry leaf tea can really help. And I tried to drink red raspberry leaf tea throughout this whole phase to really prevent those hormonal imbalances from occurring. Um, This is a phase for completion and organization and getting shit done and organized before you start your next cycle. I think a lot of people think of the luteal phase as like rest and lay and don't do much where that can be it. You definitely want to go more within, but it's a get shit done phase too. It's like wrap up all your projects, that project that you started in your follicular phase. Now it's time to complete it and check things off your to-do list so that, and make a bunch of food so that you're ready and prepared to actually rest, especially those first few days of your period. So I know that was a lot, but I love talking about this and it's so fun. And we will definitely do a full podcast episode on this soon.
0: Okay. So I love that. And you've taught me so much about the cycles. It's been life changing Uh, with the ovulatory phase. How long does that last? Cause that's when I, I mean, I love that phase, right? You feel like super social, so good, lots of energy but doesn't that phase only last, what, a couple days?
1: Yeah. So it can, it can all kind of depend. Um, Sometimes it like leaks into the luteal phase in the beginning. Um, Also me and my friend used to call, so what happens is your estrogen spike or yeah, your estrogen gets to a peak and then it drops drastically. And when you get that drastic drop in hormones, you can actually feel kind of off and we call it the sad girl day where it's like this one day in the middle of our cycle where we kind of feel sad and off. So technically it is one of the shorter phases of the cycle, but I think one, it like can leach into the follicular phase and into the luteal phase. Also, once we enter the first part of the luteal phase, we can kind of feel that same energy.
0: Yeah. Okay. So what, here's our next question. What would make someone not like slash want meat when we're biologically adapted to eat it? So pretty simple. Often I see this all the time. Low stomach acid is often a culprit. When you have low stomach acid, you often don't have a taste for meat or meat makes you feel terrible and gross and heavy and uncomfortable. So that's one of the biggest ones, Um, and this can be caused by low protein intake, excessive use of antibiotics, or things like NSAIDs, or even birth control, excessive stress or nervous system dysregulation, which can contribute to low stomach acid, and low intake of zinc, salt, or excess intake of things like alcohol. So that's one of the biggest ones, is low stomach acid that can contribute to not liking meat or not craving meat. Another one is just not eating enough protein, like I said. And ideally, kind of a way to get started, go to our protein podcast, listen to that, We talk all about low protein intake, how to increase your protein intake. Um, But also just a quick Quick tips here is focus on bioavailable or animal-based protein sources every single day with every single meal and aim for at least 100 grams of protein per day. Slowly ease into this, and you should feel a little bit better slowly with eating meat.
1: Love it. Reference definitely the protein. We talk about this a lot. Yeah. So the next question is, do you think that everyone has excess estrogen? If so, why? And how do we get rid of it? So in our highly estrogenic society, I would say yes, most women do struggle with estrogen estrogen dominance and having too much estrogen. Some of the clear signs are PMS, painful periods, irregular periods, bloating, constipation, fibroids and cysts, anxiety, endometriosis, like So many things, especially issues during that luteal phase, are a sign that you have excess estrogen, estrogen dominance. This is literally the whole purpose of my course. And so if you are struggling with any of those symptoms, definitely check it out. Um, I also want to mention that some women get tested and it comes back that they have low estrogen, but this is low estradiol, which is what our body makes. And that said, we can still have excess exogenous estrogen in our fat tissues, which is virtually impossible to test unless you literally take a sample of your fat tissue. So this exogenous estrogen is what's from environmental xenoestrogens. So Yes, you possibly could have low estrogen, but it's low estrogen in what you're making. It's super, super rare to actually have low estrogen because our modern world is literally laden with xenoestrogens. So, some examples of xenoestrogens are birth control, tampons, body and skin care, makeup, pharmaceuticals, vegetable oils, non organic foods, tap water plastic bottles and food containers, nonstick pans, cleaning products, candles, air fresheners, literally everything is laden with estrogenic foods. It's so hard to virtually avoid all of it. And that's why it's so common that so many women are estrogen dominant. So not only do we have so many estrogens coming in, but our detoxification, detoxification pathways are also so hindered. So if you're not eating enough carbs and protein that can inhibit the liver from detoxifying those extra metabolites, um, if we're depleted in minerals, if we're constipated, if we have high stress, those are all ways that can hinder our detoxification and that, and therefore lead to a buildup of estrogen within the body. So if we have low, if we have excess estrogen, what can we do about it? The first is obviously limit those xenoestrogens whenever possible. Again, this is virtually impossible in our modern day world, but just do the best you can. And again, the first step in my course is awareness. So just start becoming aware of all the xenoestrogens that you use, especially in your day to day life. Um, Another one is eat enough protein and carbohydrates to improve detoxification. Our liver has high, high energy needs. And if we're not eating enough, if we're not eating enough carbohydrates and getting enough energy, if we're not eating enough protein and getting the building blocks, then all detoxification is going to be hindered. So we really, again, we don't do a detox, but we can support our body's ability to detox better. That also includes um, providing mineral-rich foods like liver, oysters, dairy, fruits, and so on. Another really easy um, step is to eat a raw carrot salad. The fibers found in raw carrots, this was discovered by Ray Pete. He had migraines and they were caused by uh, excess estrogen. And he realized that when he ate raw carrots, that his migraines would actually go away. And so it's because that Carrots have a gentle fiber within them that can really bind estrogen in the gut and help move it out of your stool and not, so you're not constantly reabsorbing it, which comes with making sure you're pooping daily. If you're not pooping daily, again, that estrogen is just going to sit in your colon, reabsorb back into your body, and you're going to have to go through the whole process of detoxifying it over again.
0: Okay, so the next question is my... My cholesterol on my labs were high, and I've been told to eliminate saturated fats. How? So first things first, note that your levels of cholesterol have hardly anything to do with the cholesterol in your diet. Your body creates 80% of the cholesterol in your body, so that has nothing to do with the cholesterol that you're eating. Also note that cholesterol is essential. It's protective and it's important to consume as well. So cholesterol is a protective compound, meaning it will increase when you have stress, inflammation, and injury. Um, and it's really there to protect and heal and repair your body. So if you have high cholesterol, it's typically a sign of either stress, excessive excessive stress or inflammation in your body. Um, a big one is high blood sugar or low blood sugar. And another really big thing is that it can indicate is that your thyroid hormone needs support. So you need thyroid hormone to convert cholesterol into your hormones. So cholesterol is the backbone of building your hormones like estrogen, progesterone, cortisol. All your hormones are made from cholesterol or I meant cortisol, not cholesterol, um, and so that can be another big thing is that if you have low thyroid function, it's common to have high cholesterol. And then of course, you want to consume really good sources of fat. So things like vegetable oils can increase your cholesterol, increase your bad cholesterol, but including good sources of fat are actually going to support your cholesterol levels. And of course, another thing to note is that traditional lab work, there's a very, different framework of quote unquote what's normal right because for the thyroid for example most mm-hmm. doctors will test your tsh and mm-hmm. that's it and then your most people are normal even though you have symptoms it's the same with cholesterol right they're like okay this your cholesterol is super high when in reality there's so much more to the picture there's different types of cholesterol mm-hmm. and there's a often a a wider range of what's actually good and essential with cholesterol. So making sure that you're finding a physician who knows the nuance behind cholesterol and knows a little bit more about it is going to also be helpful.
1: Absolutely. It's interesting that if we have high cholesterol, it's like stop eating eggs and go on this cholesterol-lowering diet. Like, no, that's not – or cholesterol-lowering medication. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, there's so many other things that we can work on, and that's not – that maybe not even be the problem in the first
0: place. I know vegans and vegetarians, especially vegans, can have high cholesterol. It's like, okay, well, they don't consume cholesterol, so why is it high? It's like there's so many other things to consider. Interesting.
1: Next question is, is it normal to be bloated in the luteal phase and any tips on reducing PMS and bloating in general? So this kind of goes back to my previous question about estrogen dominance. You're going to do all very similar things because it's coming from the same issue. So no, bloating is not normal. It's never normal, especially in the luteal phase. That's a clear sign that you have estrogen dominance. So what are some things we can do to reduce PMS and reduce bloating? Well, one of the best actions you can take, especially if you're suffering from PMS is to eat often enough. Um, This might be surprising, but this means every three to four hours, no skipping meals at all. So the goal with PMS is we really want to help prevent a drop in low blood sugar, a drop in blood sugar so that we don't get low blood sugar. Because when our blood sugar is low, adrenaline has to rise and adrenaline literally blocks utilization of progesterone from attaching to its receptors and being utilized. And we know that progesterone is the most supportive hormone when limiting PMS and bloating. So we really want to focus on increasing our progesterone, supporting our progesterone and eliminating excess estrogen. Another tip is to limit seed oils because seed oils literally mimic estrogen in the body, which of course will worsen PMS symptoms again, we talk about seed oils and vegetable oils in our fat lesson. And the last one is red raspberry leaf tea and nettle tea really help to support the liver. I love drinking these, especially throughout my luteal phase. And especially if you have like immediate symptoms. So, um, this doesn't very, this doesn't happen and very much anymore, but when I was more estrogen dominant and suffered with bloating, I would drink some red raspberry leaf tea and it would like within an hour, totally take care of the bloating. So if you're struggling with that, that's definitely a helpful, immediate, beneficial tea.
0: Okay, so our next question is what causes and how to get rid of undigested food in your stool? So this can be so many things and can really just indicate that your whole entire digestive system needs some support and or that the foods that you're consuming aren't getting digested efficiently. So the first place to start is with being mindful around your meals. So your digestion doesn't start in your mouth. It starts with your brain, right? We can talk about our favorite foods Mm -hmm. and our mouth will start to salivate and our brain is essentially controlling our digestive systems. So in order to start your body to have good digestion, you need to be mindful around your meals and slow down with your meals and eliminate distractions around your meals And that will be the first and foremost place to start with improving your overall digestive function. And then of course, make sure you chew your food enough so that you're breaking it down enough so that when it goes throughout your digestive tract, it's actually being broken down. You can also add in digestive bitters or apple cider vinegar with your meals to help start to break down your food. And again, kind of back to the whole stomach acid piece, you want to make sure you have adequate stomach acid to again, break down your food enough so that it's not going through your system undigested. So adding sea salt to all of your meals, consuming zinc rich foods like oysters, consuming bone broth with your meals and minimizing things like acid blockers, alcohol and an empty stomach and managing your stress. And then of course, I would be curious to know what foods are undigested in your stool. I know when my digestive issues were super bad I and I was eating vegan, I would see lots of leafy green chunks mm-hmm. in my stool, nuts and seeds in my stool, even things like raw carrots or raw veggies would come, would, would be in my stool undigested. So it could be that you might just need to avoid that food for a certain period of time, especially if it's things like nuts and seeds. I know people will eat like flax seeds and sesame seeds and lots of leafy green veggies. And those are just inherently harder to digest. Um, corn is another common one that most mm-hmm. of us will see in our stools but avoiding some of the foods that you're seeing in your stool for a while while you improve your digestion and then reintroduce those foods after your digestion has improved i have great digestion and i think i'm always gonna see corn in my poop like there's just no doubt about
1: it yeah so it's like is that really supportive i also think it's funny that when people ask these questions they want like a super concrete answer and it's like Start being more mindful. Like it doesn't have to be this supplement that you take or something. Like chew your food. Be mindful. Intentional. Yeah. It's so simple. Next question uh, is what are your thoughts on moderate alcohol consumption? So we aren't into extremism. We don't believe that you obviously should drink all the time and that drinking is totally great and fine (laughs) and help for your health. Like, no, absolutely not. But we're also not on the spectrum of like, go sober, never drink alcohol, like be completely alcohol free. I think for some people, if you struggle with alcoholism, and that's really the only way To deal with it is to be completely sober. You know what's best for your body. Again, we don't know you, so you do what's best for you. But for us personally, we believe that we can enjoy a moderate, small amount of alcohol every now and then and still live a healthy lifestyle, still have balanced hormones, still have strong gut function while not overdoing it. So the keys for me when I'm drinking are one, don't overdo it. So don't drink every day of the week or don't drink every single weekend. Um, Also don't drink a bunch at once. I think some people like they don't drink the whole week, but then on Friday they drink like seven beers. And so it's like, that's definitely not going to be great either. Enjoy one or two with your friends in a social setting. Um, Another thing is make sure to eat before you drink, no matter what, maybe even during your while you're drinking at the same time. I know when I was younger and exploring with alcohol consumption, I didn't do this all the time. And I've got myself in trouble a few times. <laughs> um, charcoal habits, charcoal tablets also might be helpful, not necessarily before you drink, but after you drink, but also important to note that charcoal tablets also absorb minerals. So definitely don't overdo it. Also important to consume quality, easy to digest carbs like juice to fuel your liver. I know it's often recommended to not drink juice while you're drinking or don't drink super sugary alcoholic drinks, but um, our liver needs fuel. Like we can't get fuel out of thin air, so we need these carbohydrates in order for our liver to function and properly detoxify that alcohol. And the last thing I want to mention is... If you're interested in drinking, focus on more clear spirits. So things like tequila, vodka, gin are so much better than um, aged whiskey, bourbons, beers, and things like that. Also aim if you want to drink wine, aim for organic wine because especially in California, I've also heard don't buy any California wine because um, our water system is so polluted with glyphosate that... When you make wine from the grapes, it's literally like a super concentrated form of glyphosate. So drink organic whenever possible. But even if it's not organic, I try if I want to buy wine, I buy it from European places because their food system is so much better than ours in America.
0: Anything you want to add? A couple. I take a supplement called Party Smart. I've never heard of that until today. That's so yeah, cool. Yeah, it's fun. It has a bunch of different Ayurvedic herbs that are really supportive for liver function, and I, you take that when you start drinking. So that's a good one. And then B vitamins. So I have a B vitamin supplement sometimes mm-hmm. that I'll take afterwards. Again, really supportive for liver function. That's great. And I also will do like I'll have a drink, and then I'll do some kind of hydrating beverage in between. So if I'm not drinking juice with whatever alcohol mm-hmm. I'll do like an adrenal cocktail or yeah. I'll do some kind of I don't know drink with the sea salt in it or mm-hmm. like the element electrolytes there's something in between to kind of help keep my body hydrated give it some some nutrients to support it and I remember when you first told me about the the juice with the mm-hmm. with alcohol which is so funny because people avoid yes avoid juice with alcohol which of course I think in Many cases, it's like all these sugary, high fructose sweetened syrups, but like I'll make certain mixers with actual fresh Mm -hmm. juice and it, yeah, it helps so much because I mean, it makes sense. Your liver is doing a lot of work to detoxify the alcohol. And so you're giving your liver really good, easy to digest carbs to do what it needs to do.
1: Especially the fruit juice because fruit
0: juice contains
1: fructose and our livers love fructose. Yes. Yes. When I say juice, I don't even think about
0: vegetable juice. Yeah, vegetable <laughs> juice
1: or like weird artificial juice. Like I yes. think
0: of real fruit juice. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So the next question is, I've heard you have to brew overnight to really get the benefits of tea. Is that true? Or can a quick brew still be beneficial? So you can absolutely get more minerals extracted from an overnight brew But normal tea is also great. So some of our favorite teas are oat straw, nettle, horsetail, chamomile, ginger, and holy basil. And the ones that I like to do an overnight infusion of are oat straw and nettle and horsetail. Those I find are really particularly mineral rich. And the longer that you let them sit, the more minerals you're getting out of those. Any other teas that you feel like are worth mentioning?
1: I just love red raspberry leaf tea. Yes. Um, also interesting, when I took a herb class in uh, while I was getting my master's degree at Bastyr, uh, the teacher explained to cover your tea when it's brewing because some of the Ooh. beneficial components actually leach out and they're the liquefied. And so they leach out in the steam. So by covering your tea while you're brewing, it helps to like lock them into the water and not leaching out.
0: Oh, I love that. Cuz that's how you make hydrosols. Yes. It's in the steam.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, this is a fun question. Any health food that you think are not so worth the hype? Madison,
0: what do you think? Yeah, mine is cruciferous veggies. <laughs> so, if you're not familiar with cruciferous veggies, they're all part of the same same plant family, so kale, collards, broccoli, cauliflower, Kohlrabi, Brussels sprouts, all these like smelly, gassy, <laughs> kind of gross veggies. I think they're so overrated. I know people love them for estrogen detox yeah. and all these different nutrients. To me, like, for one, they don't taste great. I mean, for broccoli, for me to eat broccoli, like, you're gonna have to roast it in ch- tons of butter yep. and lots of salt and yep. lots of spices. And yeah, I'll eat it at that point if it's really roasted and basically just tastes like crispy butter. But (laughs) otherwise, like cruciferous veggies, I forced myself to eat these so much of my life. Yeah, because I thought they were super beneficial, but I always had gas with them, gas Mm -hmm. and bloating. And Obviously, I have I or have had digestive issues in the past, but I think even the average regular person with good digestion, like they get gassy and bloated with cruciferous veggies. And to me, it's there's too much fiber, they don't taste great, and you can get all the nutrients that you find in them in other mm. foods. So And there's so many like cauliflower alternatives.
1: It's like, let's just eat the normal real food. Yeah. Why do we have to like make this weird health food alternative that's actually
0: not a health food yeah there was a post that said cauliflower like never asked to be pizza crust (laughs) and mashed potatoes and like rice yeah ew rice cauliflower rice no
1: My food that I don't think is worth the hype is nuts and seeds by far. I feel like everything is nuts and seeds and it's like, like same thing with cut the cauliflower. Everything's nut and seed butter or nut and seed cheese or the nut milks and everything. And they're so hyped as like this health food with seed cycling, or they have tons of nutrients. Like I know someone was telling me, but Oh, pumpkin seeds have tons of zinc in them. And I was like, okay, but is that zinc actually bioavailable? Like, You poop it out whole usually. Like how are you getting the nutrients if you're just pooping it out whole? And I think I have such an issue with them because in my past, I just always felt – and people always mention like nuts and seeds are a great healthy snack with healthy fats in them. So I always felt like I needed to eat a handful of like raw nuts. But oh, like I just like – I can imagine what it feels like in my mouth. It is just so not good. So Mm -hmm. I would literally – not force myself but feel like I should eat these foods when I actually
0: didn't want to eat them at all yeah which is crazy it's like your intuition is right when you don't you force yourself to eat these foods that are claimed to be so healthy and you try to eat them but you don't like them like for me that that turns off your digestive system yes exactly yeah you're not going to digest a food well if you're eating it thinking like uh this doesn't really taste great. I'd wish I'd actually am eating like I wish I was eating real rice or mm-hmm. eating something else. Like you're not going to digest those foods that you don't like. So the next question is how long did it take you guys to go from start to finish to heal your gut? This question is so hard because yeah. If you listen to my story on episode 2 or 1 mm-hmm. Basically, I've had gut issues since I was little. Mm. So I would say the last couple years in particular have been game changer for my digestion, but I couldn't give you like an exact amount of time. I would just say the last couple years, probably since, you know, like 2019 to now have been pretty dramatic in the amount of healing that I've done. And that sounds like a really long time, but I was yeah, again, everyone's so different. I had a lot of chronic underlying gut issues that I had been dealing with for decades. So it could be faster, it could be shorter. Like I think that what we're doing with the podcast and what we each do with our our businesses, like we have minimized the amount of experimentation that you have to do, right? Because we've done all the experimentation for you and we're kind of giving you the cliff notes version of what we've done. So I would say that, you know, ideally you could do this quicker than that because we were, we're giving you all these tools. And especially if you're a one-on-one client, I'm giving you like all the tools that I've used to heal and it could be shorter than that. But I think it's so hard because there's no guarantee, right? Our bodies have their own timelines and we want to think like, oh, I'm going to do this four month protocol and it's going to mm-hmm. heal my gut and I'm going to feel better And I think it's also kind of, you have to trust your body because your body's going to do things on its own timeline. And you can logically think that, oh, by this time, I want my gut to be healed. But your body has a different timeline and you have to trust your body in that process. I think it's also important to note that being, quote unquote, healed isn't a destination. And it's also not a journey. I hate the phrase, (laughs) healing is a... Healing is a journey, not a destination. Because yeah. I, when I heard that when I was in the midst of terrible gut issues for years, I felt like I was trying everything. I felt like that phrase was very discouraging because it's like, oh, it's, never gonna it's end. a journey and it's never going to end. Yeah. So I like to tell people it's both, right? Because you will have yeah. instances in your journey mm-hmm. that you will reach a destination, right? Like now I've reached a destination where I can tolerate dairy, I can eat so much more variety of foods. I can travel and not have gut issues. Mm-hmm. I don't have to rely on any supplements. Like, And my, ish- my symptoms are rare. But I feel like now I'm like, oh, wow. The more that I learn about health, the more I feel like I have way more work to do to mm-hmm. quote unquote heal. So there will be destinations where you will feel like, wow, I've made progress. Like my gut health has changed or my hormone health has changed. But I feel like once you reach that point, you have the capacity to do more healing. And so it's kind of like this constant thing of self-progression and working on yourself. So I also think it's really important to note that so many of us have years and years of poor dietary habits and poor lifestyle habits to make up for. So I think about a lot of my clients who have been... Drinking coffee on an empty stomach in the morning and not eating breakfast, and have lots and lots of stress and trauma, and really just have years and years and years of kind of making up to do. Not to say you have to spend that much time healing, but like you know, you got to give your body the nutrients that it needs and give it the time that it needs to really repair from a lot of that that damage.
1: I love that. And I can relate to the gut, but also talk about my own hormone healing journey. Because as a kid, I never really like talked about this, I think. And your gut healing journey was way more extreme than mine. But I always definitely had a sensitive gut as a kid. And I would like get queasy. And if I ate weird, funky foods, it wouldn't sit well with me. Um, But yeah, it's never it's like, like you said, you will get to a point where it's better. But if you go back to the way that you were living before, like all your symptoms are just going to come back. It's not like you can just heal and then go back to how you were. And then like, it's still going to be fine. Like, no, that's not how it works. Um, I think your point about people wanting instant results and like people develop these issues for so long and they want like, Oh, I want it to be a three month program and then I'm healed and I'm great and I'm fine. Like, no, it took you years and years and years to get to this point that it's not going to be instant. I feel like you're sometimes your clients get frustrated or someone gets frustrated mm-hmm. because they're like, this isn't working, but it's like, girl, it's been two weeks. Like
0: yeah, take a step back. It's going to be okay.
1: Yeah. Um, in relation to hormone health, I would say like, definitely give yourself a solid six months to a year, if not longer. Again, this is years of mineral imbalance and years of undernourishing your body. It's not going to heal overnight. Um, Also your follicle, which will in your ovaries, when you're having your period and your cycle, the follicle is what eventually becomes the egg and the egg becomes fertilized or the egg gets released. And that's what you get when you have your period, but it takes 100 days. So almost three months for that follicle to mature. So you can't expect to start doing something. And that first cycle, you're going to start seeing results. I mean, maybe you will, but Mm -hmm. definitely give it at least three cycles to start seeing results and start seeing changes within your body. I know for me, it absolutely took like two years for me to really feel like I finally had a good grasp on my health and my hormones and my gut and everything,
0: but it takes time and that's totally okay. Yeah. Like you, I love what you said about healing. Like you want this program that's going to heal you and yes. then you're going to go back to your normal life. It's like, yes. no, you kind of have to slowly change everything about your life because obviously the life that you were living created the health problems that you have so you can't go back to that life and expect to have amazing health like you have to do so many different steps and change so many different things and give your body time and yeah it's also not to say that this is like this gruesome hard journey that's excruciating and exhausting like healing is super fun and amazing because a lot of things that we talk about are pleasurable and joyful and delicious delicious. like who doesn't want to eat butter and fruits and grass-fed meats
1: and eggs like those are all the most delicious foods like to me it's so much easier than many diets I've tried in the past yeah Okay, and I think this is our last question. This one's really fun. Really, really fun. If you could eat only one meal for the rest
0: of your life, what would it be? Do you want to go first or me? Sure, I'll go first. Okay, appetizer. We're having <laughs> a charcuterie board. I wish I picked that. That's so good. So good. We've been having charcuterie boards for lunch every
1: single day, and it's so, so easy. easy. Literally, it takes three minutes to make, Yes, and so good.
0: Yeah, so my charcuterie board tons of delicious types of meats pickles oh we should have bought pickles yeah yummy pickles um delicious sauces probably some goat cheese honey fruit that would be the appetizer okay then the actual meal comes out so it's a new york strip ooh roasted yukon gold potatoes ooh, so- roasted in butter Ooh. so crispy on the outside soft on the inside so basically what we've been eating the past three days <laughs> yes this is basically what we've been eating for dinner chimichurri sauce ooh. which is this delicious fresh herby garlicky sauce on the steak lots of salt obviously on all those things mm. and a side of caramelized mushrooms and onions mm. And I'm having a Paloma for my drink. Mm. And for dessert, dessert is mango with coconut sticky rice and or, well, let's just say and. Yeah, I we're going crazy here. <laughs> Brownies.
1: Oh, my God. You know, I've actually never had mango sticky rice.
0: It's amazing. I know. I need to try it. Definitely. I love it. White rice, coconut milk, sugar, yes. mango. Mm, I definitely so need good. to try What about you, Bella? What's your last meal? So for me...
1: It's, I've been also kind of making this, but mine is like extreme to the max. But I love like warming, delicious Asian type food. So I would have steak uh, cut thinly sliced and like cooked first, thinly sliced, and then with garlic mushroom or garlic shrimp and noodles cooked in bone broth with a soft boiled egg. So, like, kind of like a ramen, but to the max. I would definitely put mushrooms in there, too, and loaded with sriracha on the top because I love hot sauce. Um, I should have done an appetizer, but I'm just going straight for the main meal. Yeah. Um, I would also, on the side, have a big bowl of fruit. I love fruit with be- like berries, pineapple, grapefruit with some sugar sprinkled on there, peaches, and mangosteen. I don't know if you've ever had a mangosteen. Mm-mm. It tastes like like sour candy, but Ooh, it's fruit. And so I've only had it in um, Colombia before and they're really expensive, but hey, I'm I'm going for it. Going crazy. Um, I would also have a margarita with a tahini rim. I love that we chose alcoholic drinks. <laughs> <laughs> and for dessert, I'm having a chocolate chip cookie with raw milk, homemade, fresh out of the oven. And then I also have this lemon pound cake that It's just like so light and fresh and with this powdered sugar glaze on top. The recipe's in the meal guide in my course and I love it. So I'm doing it all.
0: Ooh, sounds so good. See, I'm salivating. My body's (laughs) ready to digest all that food. Yes,
1: we're ready to eat dinner.
0: So thank you all so much for sending in your questions. We always love to answer your questions. So, we always do a QA episode at the end of every podcast season. So, if you have any other questions that come up, send your questions our way via email or Instagram. You can find us on Instagram at Nourish with Bella and at The Gut Goddess. And as a reminder, this is the last episode of this season. So, we will be taking a couple weeks off to just chill and rest and rejuvenate. So, watch for new episodes in a couple weeks. Yay. I love you. This is so much fun. I can't wait for next season already. Sounds so amazing. Yay. Bye. Bye.